love playing sports. Sport is a big part of my life. Um, I play any sport, I'll watch any sport. I'm up for playing football, I'm up for playing badminton or squash or cricket or snooker. I'm up for playing poker, darts, um, anything. Volleyball, um, running around a field, track and field, high jump, you name it. If it's called a sport, I am more than happy to play it. I am more than happy to give it a go. But I'm not amazing at one sport. I do have a sport that in myself I'm probably the best at and it's probably golf. But even that I'm kind of average at. Um, I'm not amazing at one sport, I'm just kind of average at at many and I don't really contribute anything amazing when I'm playing in a team sport. I might be able to produce the odd odd, odd wonder cross if I'm playing football maybe. Very rarely I never score a goal. Um, I kind of just run around pretending to know what I do. I kind of look the part and I feel like that's one part, you know, that's better than having nothing, you know, all the, all the gear, no idea. I'd rather have the gear and no idea than not have any, if that makes sense. And so I'm not amazing at any sport, just average at many. And when I was um, in secondary school, kind of from year seven, it was very obvious that I wasn't going to be the sports captain. I wasn't going to be the one that won medals for the school. I was just going to be the one that got picked last. And it kind of often, you know, when you go into gym, when you go into sports and you're you know, you do your practice and then the match comes and you, you, they, you, the PE teacher lines you up and then the PE teacher gets your friends to pick the team. So you're all lined up and near enough, most of the time from year seven to year 11, it looked like this. Okay, lads, got a football uh, PE lesson today and yep, Sam, Ollie, your captains, pick away. Pick your favourites, go for it. that someone has with Jesus today, we will see that Jesus acknowledges, we will see that Jesus boldens, we will see that Jesus comforts, and we will see that Jesus dignifies. And there is nothing comforting, there is nothing uh, dignified about being picked last by your friends and then having to make, like, the, you know, you line up against the wall like this and you have to make the walk, the solo walk to the team that clearly didn't want you. There is nothing comforting or dignifying about that. But when Jesus is involved, there is always an A, B, C, D. And that's what we're going to call it today, the A, B, C, D. There's always going to be acknowledgement. There's always going to be boldening. There's always going to be comforting. And it's always going to be dignifying. And you today, if you're a note taker, you can call this talk from disgraced to embraced. And we're going to look at it in two parts. Um, but we're going to read um, Mark 5, 21 to 34. Okay, Mark 5. 21 to 34. Have you got it? All right, let's go. Um, and it goes like this. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. 
A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realised at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you, Jesus. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realisation of what had just happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So, as he said to you, we're going to look at this in two parts. And we're going to walk through this journey, how this woman went from being a disgrace to being embraced. So the first part is disgraced. This woman had been suffering from bleeding for 12 years. And there are a number of reasons why this would have caused her kind of public disgrace. She would have felt like a public disgrace. She would have felt like a disgrace in herself. And that first one, she would have felt embarrassed. Not because she's shy, not because she's got a quiet personality, but because she knows her condition. And she knows, as we look through some other reasons why she would have felt a disgrace, she knows that it's not a nice condition. She knows that she would have been an outcast. She's embarrassed. She's in constant pain about her condition. She's physically in pain. She has a condition for 12 years constantly that is physically debilitated. She can't, she's constantly in discomfort. And if anyone is ever in constant discomfort, like even just being ill for a day or two, can be absolutely knackering. Imagine being in pain for 12 years. And probably not even just physically in pain, maybe emotionally in pain and spiritually in pain as well. Because as we'll see, well, she's been outcast and isolated from her community. She's poor. As we read in that passage, she, verse 26, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. This woman was poor. She lost all her money, all her savings, trying to get better, trying to make a life for herself, trying to be involved in the community, only to get worse. It's like a double blow. And fourth, she's unable to have children in a culture where having children was really important. Important because it was kind of important to keep your family line going, to kind of honour your ancestors, to keep the family name going. Important because when she got older, they would, she would have had children to look after her. There were no nursing homes back then. She needed children to look after her, but she had no children, so she would have, grown, she would have got older and older and there would have been no one to look after her. And fifth, she'd been constantly, ritually, unclean. Now you, let's be careful. This law, which makes her constantly richly unclean, is not down on women. This has to do, this has to do with blood and not gender. And blood in those times youth is very important because blood kind of represents death and life. And when we look in the book of Leviticus, which is the third book of the Bible in the Old Testament, in chapter 15, there's a section that talks about what this woman is going through and kind of what would need to happen. And this section, youth, is in my Bible anyway, is wonderfully, beautifully called bodily 
discharges. It's, it's, oh, oh, it makes me cringe just saying it. But it says this. Whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremony unclean for seven days. All right, cool. Kind of. But this second sentence is also important, youth. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. But this has been going on for 12 years. Not just for seven days. She's not just ceremony unclean for seven days. 12 years constantly. Therefore, for 12 years, she would have been excluded, separated and in isolation from the people around her, her family, her friends, her community, her town. Everyone would have been ignoring her. Everyone would be trying to keep away from her because that second sentence for anyone who touches her would also be semi-unclean. Therefore, they would also be isolated, excluded and separated from the community. This woman wouldn't have been allowed in homes. This woman would not have been allowed in the temple courts to pray. She would have been isolated, on her own, lonely, people keeping away from her. And we kind of kind of feel that now, youth, don't we? Like we're cold, totally. Like if you've got any symptoms, you stay at home, you isolate, you keep away. And my brother, he's a COVID-19 nurse and, you know, I love him for bits for what he's been going through for the last year. But there was a time last year where he was getting really annoyed because when people found out that he was a COVID-19 nurse, they would treat him as if he was dirty, as if he was kind of carrying COVID, which he doesn't because he has constant tests and stuff. But it really like hurt him that people would kind of cringe and want to keep away from him, but at the same time want to give him a round of applause for doing what he was doing. Total exclusion. So you can see this problem that this woman would have when she's trying to get near to Jesus and there's a massive crowd around Jesus. She's trying to get through the crowd. She's trying to like, timidly get through. She's touching people, making those people ceremonially unclean. But here comes the transition youth, from disgraced to embraced. She reaches out, like E.T. Uh, she reaches out, she touches Jesus' robe, her bleeding stops. She can feel it in her body that she is no more in pain. And Jesus then goes, who touched me? And there's massive crowd squashing around against them. It could have been anyone. But Jesus keeps looking. And then the woman steps forward. And as the woman steps forward, she takes this courageous step forward in front of a massive crowd that knows that she, who she is and would have been like thinking, oh my goodness, I should keep away from this person. She steps forward and from that moment she becomes from a disgrace and she suddenly becomes embraced. And youth, that leads us to part two, embraced. And I'm going to talk about how, how I would have felt if you know my teammates or the PE teacher would have used the ABCD as well in school. Um, so we're going to look at the ABCD of how this woman became from disgraced to embraced. So the first A is acknowledged. Now, can you imagine me? I'm lining up on the line, waiting to be picked last probably, knowing that I shouldn't be picked at all because I'm not that good. And one of the best players on the, other, on the team, I'm not expected to be picked. And he says, Ross. One of the first players, can you imagine? Ross. I'll be like, what? I've been acknowledged by one of the best players because the best players are always the captain and he, he's acknowledged me. He's called me by name. And here we see here, Jesus uses a very affectionate, reassuring, comforting word, daughter. Can you just imagine what that must have felt like for her? Like, I love calling people, like for one of the lads, I love calling people bud or buddy. I, I love it when my mum calls me darling. I used to love it when my nan used to call me duck. My brother, we call each other Bruce or Brucey, mainly from uh, Matilda, Bruce Boltrotter. 
big up Brucey. Um, and you know, there's kind of like something cool and lovely about having nicknames and affectionate names and inward kind of in, in group names, that kind of thing. But this, Jesus calls her daughter. 12 years she's been shunned and ignored. And suddenly she goes from an outsider to an insider and this amazing teacher, rabbi, prophet, who's like sweeping the nation with what he's doing and changing the world as he does it. It says, daughter, acknowledges her. Can you imagine? B, Jesus boulders. Now, can you imagine you? I've been acknowledged by the best player on the team and he, I'm not last, I've been picked first. And he kind of, as I step forward, I'm like, are you, are you sure? He's like, buddy, I trust you, man. I believe in you. He boldens me, he bigs me up. Like, that's really cool thing. This is what Jesus does here to this woman. He emboldens her. Your faith has healed you. It wasn't her touch. It wasn't a touch that healed her. It wasn't her finger touching Jesus' robe that healed her. It was her giant faith that she knew that if she could just get through the crowd, if she could just persevere through trying to be embarrassed and just... Get that one touch of Jesus, her life would change. And do you notice what changes here, youth? We've just said, like in that second sentence, that those that touch the unclean become unclean themselves. Well, here, this unclean woman touches a clean Jesus. And what happens? She becomes clean. From this moment on, youth, the unclean who touch the clean become clean. How amazing is that? See... Jesus comforts her. Now, can you imagine? I'm like walking. I've been acknowledged by the best player on the team. I'm stepping forward. They embolden me, emboldens me, saying, yes, I believe in you. And then he comforts me. He like, you know, he acknowledges me again. Just as I get to that, his team acknowledges me like with a hug or whatever. Like, you know, gives me a fist bump, whatever. He comforts me. And let's go back to that thing again. That word daughter, how comforting that would have been. Not one bit of annoyance in Jesus' voice, not one bit of anger in Jesus' voice, not one bit of, like, he's irritated because he's been stopped going to, like, some synagogue leader's house. He is literally saying, daughter. She didn't know what his reaction was going to be. But then he says, go in peace. Your suffering is over. 12 years of pain, 12 years of separation, 12 years of poverty, 12 years of suffering and shame, over. By just one touch of Jesus. And you can just go how mad and amazing that would have felt for that woman. You can just imagine. Daughter, it's okay. Go in peace. You are truly healed. And then D. Dignifies. Can you imagine me? I told you at the beginning how undignified it is to be the last person who has to walk to the team. That clearly didn't want you on the team. Everyone's watching. You do the lonely walk to the team that didn't want you. But if I have been acknowledged, if I have been boldened, if I have been comforted, this whole situation of me being chosen, one of the first people to be chosen, gives me dignity. I've been dignified by the person that wants me on their team. And this is what Jesus does here. The whole story all leads to the woman being treated and shown dignity. Remember, Jesus has stopped for this woman. He was about to go to Jairus' house, a high up synagogue leader, to go and do his thing and heal this, his daughter. And then the story actually goes on. You don't realise it. We don't read it in this bit. Actually, Jairus' daughter dies and Jesus does his thing and raises us from the dead because he's like that. But can you imagine, like, I don't know, some doctor that's rushing to maybe Boris Johnson's aid. Like something's happened to, to Bojo and this doctor is rushing to, like, to save Boris Johnson. 
but then sees you on the side or you manage to grab his attention and he stops for you instead. Can you imagine? Jesus has elevated her importance. Jesus has elevated her significance and Jesus has made her a priority. And now from this encounter with Jesus, she is free from suffering. She is free from pain. She is free to be in community. She is free to make money. She is free to marry. She is free to have children. She is free to be in the temple courts and pray. She is free to be in the temple and she is free to be in the presence of God. So you, what can you do with this truth? What can you do that, with this kind of truth that Jesus acknowledges, he boldens, he comforts and dignifies? What does that mean for you? It means this youth. It means that Jesus doesn't cringe when you come to him. Jesus doesn't cringe when you come to him. Jesus knows your life. So I don't watch the Gilmore Girls, but I know enough that Emily Gilmore, who's Laura Lyde's mum, is not the most... Uh, I'd say encouraging mum, not the most supportive. Every kind of decision that Lorelai makes, um, every time she brings something up, every time she makes a wrong decision, her mum is kind of cringing, brings it up, makes little jabs and digs and kind of like, kind of just kind of, it's just not an all round supportive mum. And Jesus is not like Emily Gilmore. He doesn't kind of cringe at the decisions you make. He doesn't kind of like roll his eyes or tut when you make certain, um, do certain things or, or think certain thoughts. And when you do come to him, he's not like Voldemort that kind of hugs Draco Malfoy. I don't know if you ever watched Harry Potter, but he hugs Draco Malfoy like this. And he's well kind of done, cringy. Drake. It's kind of like... Well done. And Jesus is not like that. He doesn't hug you with a cringe, like he's trying to keep away from you. Jesus embraces you with an open arms. Jesus knows your life. He knows the thoughts you have thought. He knows the things that you have said. He knows the things you have done, and even scarier, he knows the things that you have done that no one else knows about, and yet he doesn't cringe when he looks at your life. He doesn't cringe when you come to him. He doesn't give you a half-hearted, like, Voldemort hug. He doesn't roll his eyes at you like Emily Gilmore. You may cringe at your life, youth, but he doesn't, because he's not shocked or surprised by the things that you do. He doesn't go, oh! Well, I didn't expect her to do that. Oh, I didn't expect him to do that. You know, Father, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do? Like, you know, he's just done this, she's just done that. Like, that's really messed up our plans. Jesus is not like that. Because whilst we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He still wanted to die for you, even though all the messed up stuff that we would think, do and say. You cannot blindside Jesus. You cannot surprise him with what you do, all the wrong stuff you do. And you've those places in your heart, in your life, where you think Jesus would cringe the most and hate you the most, is in fact the place where he wants to live and love you the most. Jesus is a person who runs to those places that you most cringe and hate. Those parts of your life where you wish never existed, those parts, those things that you wish you never said, those actions that you wish you never did, those things no one else knows about, that is where Jesus wants to love you the most and comfort you the most. Youth this morning, know this, Jesus acknowledges you, Jesus boldens you, Jesus comforts you and Jesus dignifies you. Come to him, for he doesn't cringe when he looks at your life.